This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Ladies and gentlemen, Billy Hallowell and Chris Field, the Church Boys. From the sublime to the ridiculous, but mostly ridiculous. I hate these guys. Boom, boom, boom. We are back. We know you missed us. It's been it's been days since you've heard our melodious voices, since you've heard the wonderful dulcet tones of of, of my dear, lovely colleague, uh, William um, Penelope Hallowell. Billy, how you doing, baby? <laughs> Penelope. I'm good. It's actually William Harris Hollowell the third. Now you're lying. I know that's actually my name. Oh, that's unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, why, I don't know why we have to start with the, with those kinds of uh, remarks, Chris. Why can't you just you know keep? Why can't you be student? nice? Why you know, you... we're the church boys. We're all about you know why? love and faith and kindness. I and... know. I don't know why I can't keep my comments to myself. I guess you well, put a microphone. I know why. I have a few theories you know on what? why. Just go ahead and just shut your pie hole. Okay. <laughs> so uh, there's a whole bunch of stuff that's been happening in the world, um, Billy, since last we, we spoke. And a few of those things have to actually to do with this show. Um, we want to thank you, the uh, the loyal, wonderful listeners. You guys have done some serious numbers for us. Uh, we've been pretty excited. We are a part of the Blaze Radio Network and excited to be a part of that. And... Um, You've given us some great numbers on uh, SoundCloud, and we've got some great news for you. Uh, from what we've been told, we are being put on iTunes as we speak. It's so, a scary thought, isn't it? That is it? scary. So go to iTunes, search for The Church Boys, and you should be able to find us there and don't allow, dynlo- download. Oh, my God. Uh, down, download. 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 All is that our, like while you're eating, while all, you download? Yeah, that's something like that. Download all our Shinola and... Um, there's a whole bunch of it out there, so you've got hours and hours of uh, catching up to do if you haven't uh, listened to past episodes. But thank you, thank you, thank you for the numbers you've given us. I know that the Blaze Radio guys are really excited and very thankful also for what you've done. Uh, Billy, uh, Brian said to tell you that he loves the show in spite of your input. So I don't I don't know what that means. Maybe you have a history with Brian. I'm not sure, but... Whatever. You know, I'm not even going to go there. I'm not going to go there because this is the show about love and, and light and hope. So speaking of love, light, and hope... Um, I wanted to get to it. I wanted to get to a story that just when you sent it to me, uh, when did you send it to me? It was it's that church, the sprinklers. Oh, it was on Friday. Oh, the ca- oh, yes, Thursday, Thursday. yes, the church that set up sprinklers to <laughs> rain water down upon the homeless. <laughs> it's not fun. I mean, it's not. It you is think funny. it's hilarious? I think it's hysterical. It's okay. It was the Archdiocese of San Francisco that oversees this church, and the church is St. Mary's Cathedral out in San Francisco. <gasps> Do you, go ahead, laugh it up. Laugh I it up. I can't. I can't help it. I have to laugh. It is okay. Go ahead. So lay the well, story out for what, people it's... so they understand what a jerk I am. Go ahead. So all right, and, and I think it's funny. It becomes funny when you see the response of the church. I think that's sort of the part that's funny because no, that's be, not the funny part. But go ahead. I, well, I know you don't think that's the funny part. I do. 
the bottom line is this church, St. Mary's, they installed a sprinkler system outside, and I guess it's this area that's that's under an awning. So homeless people will go and they'll sleep on the stone on this awning so they're covered um, at night, you know, so they can get away from – I mean when people say the cold in California, some parts of California apparently do get chilly. Um, I don't know. I've never been to San Francisco in the winter, so I don't know. It's, anyway, it, the San Francisco go, can be chilly any time of year. Yeah. There you go. So they, they, will, they will seek refuge – in this area. The problem the church was having is that the homeless, some of them would do drugs, they would smoke, they would litter. Um, and so this sprinkler system was put in. Uh, apparently, you know, the, the excuse that the church has <laughs> is that they put the sprinkler system in to clean the area of needles and things like that, which shows you there clearly was an issue there. Um, but but the news media find out about the sprinkler. They show video of it and people are outraged because here's the church, you know, telling homeless people they should get away. And not only telling them that every 60 or seven, every 30 or 60 minutes, water shoots down from the ceiling of this awning and saturates the homeless and all their belongings. So. Now the church is saying, well, we did this to clean up the needles and that sort of thing to wash things away. No, you didn't. You didn't. They were trying to wash something away. I I do laugh. I do laugh at. I do laugh at their efforts to explain this away. Just be honest. Be honest. Well, I think that's what I mean. That's what I think. Homeless away, and I'm okay with that. See, and what what makes me laugh is all the hysteria in reaction to them doing something that doesn't hurt people to keep people off their property. Well, I think you imagine here. I just, I just imagine, I imagine people hiding under. Listen, and I feel bad for the homeless. And you and I both know each other's history on helping people and doing that. It's not a, it's not a dislike of the homeless. It's, it's the same way that I feel when I watch a cartoon or I watch a Three Stooges short or whatever. You got this person sleeping somewhere that's not theirs, and suddenly, suddenly turns the sprinklers on them. It's like, get out of here. (laughs) Well, and I think. When you when you look at what they say in the statement, what the, what St. Mary says is the reason they did this. You know, I think when they say they wanted to clean up the area of needles and all of that, I think part of that is probably moving the people off of that area. Sure. And they I guess this particular section of the church is the back of the church where the back entrances are. And a lot of kids, a lot of elderly people walk through that area. So, you know, getting rid of needles, if there's a rampant drug use problem, getting rid of all that. You know, it it does make sense. I think people see it as a really inhumane way, though, only because and the church seemed to want to allow the homeless and Chris is shaking his head at me. I can see him on the camera. But the church seemed to want the homeless to go to another part of the church, not to be there. Like they didn't have a problem with them being on the premises. I mean, listen, if you only own three things and you're saturate and you're purposely saturating them with water. You know, but again, they shouldn't be there. So I get right. It. I but get that's, it. so that's the thing is, if there's a place that the church is saying, "Hey, if you're homeless and you want help, or someplace to to hang out to that's dry or warmer, go to this part of the building and we'll help you out." Don't go to the part of the building that says no trespassing. I mean, there's a quote on your story. It says a homeless man told the outlet, the news outlet, "There's a there's a no trespassing sign in the area surrounding the back doors, but there's no warning about the water that streams out of the ceiling for a period of 75 seconds every." Uh, 30 to 60 minutes. So it says no trespassing. Wait, wait can already, I just mention it, it something says, about this story? It says though? no trespassing. Can I, if I put something. up a sign that says no trespassing, can I do something to keep you from trespassing? Chris is so fired up about this. The, listen, I think it's comical, though, that everybody knows so much about the water when it comes out and all that. They're so aware of it, but yet they're still sl- some people are still sleeping under it. Right. They've timed it. Like every 30 to 60 minutes. So if I know if I, if I just hang out here for 30 minutes... 
45 minutes. It's going to come on. It'll be on for a minute and a half, and I can go back to my business. But And to call it humane, inhumane, how is that inhumane? Well, that was a neighbor who said that. Well, yeah, that was a, a neighbor no, near the church who just, didn't like it. But I think an, there's a it's bigger not issue. It's a neighbor Chris. who said it. It's an idiot who said it. Well, <laughs> well, listen, there's a bigger issue at this church, and I think it's that there are some other things going on in the diocese. So, you know, people are seizing on every opportunity, I think, too. And I don't have, I did a story a couple, a week ago or a couple weeks ago about this, but there's just, there was a pamphlet that was handed out at one of the high schools that was seen as overtly controversial, or it was actually an elementary school about masturbation and other things like that that really wasn't appropriate um so i think people are sort of poking through the diocese there looking for things and this was just the latest well it's it was infuriating to me to read that story and to hear people being outraged that somebody would dare put up a trespassing sign and then do something to enforce their request of no trespassing i think one of my stories outrages you at least (laughs) two times a day if not three. Okay, yeah, that's true. And I, I'm sure that I get outraged. I'm very easily outraged because I have nothing else better to do with my life. But you know what? There's a story that really got the world's attention uh, this, <laughs> this last week. And it has had me laughing my butt off. That has, that has um, the world all aflutter. I know that you've got a bunch of their handbags and that sort of thing. What? Tell, <laughs> tell, remind me of the story again. Um, well, Dolce & Gabbana, I think, I think almost everybody is aware. If you're not, I'll give you a quick recap. Dolce & Gabbana did an interview with a Panorama magazine in Italy, and they said some things, mainly Dolce, but I guess both of them, about IVF, um, basically sort of going Wait, against tell the people notion. what IVF is. Well, in vitro fertilization, right? So, so basically assisting couples with having children, um, if they can't do it naturally, let's say, so they implantation and all that to try to make it happen. And so, um, and, and gay adoption. Now I should know both Dolce and Gabbana are gay. They were in a relationship with one another for decades until they broke up in 2005. So they, but so it's really extra weird that they're sort of coming out against gay adoption and all of that at an IVF when really gay couples can only adopt or use, you know, some form of IVF. Right. So it's uh, it's sort of a fascinating story. But long story short, they make these claims and you have Elton John come after them. And Elton so- John puts this post up just railing against them <laughs> on Instagram. And uh, Chris cannot control this, 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 himself. He's this, laughing. This huge slap fight starts. And, I mean, they're just going oh back gosh. and forth, hitting each <laughs> other with purses. And it makes Stop. me... You are, no wait a second. Wait no wait a second. Dolce Gabbana is famous for purses. We know. Was Does it, Elton wasn't John El, then have Elton one? Jo- that, well, no. Elton John saying? was carrying a purse around or a Dolce Gabbana handbag or something, wasn't he? Like shortly he after he made this statement, or was it a I shopping think it was a bag? Shopping bag. Shopping bag. <laughs> okay, what was in the shopping bag? What was in the shopping I don't know. bag? He went shopping I, at Dolce Gabbana, Elton. and what did he buy? But listen, a listen, wallet, th- this... a holster. Listen, I say this is. I feel, just a second. You keep you fill the air. I'll be right back. I'm going to go over to my record player. I'm going to pull off what I got sitting over here. Just a second. Go ahead. Go. Okay. Can, all right. All right. Talk amongst so, yourselves. Basically, the two of them go back and forth, and you've got Gabbana and Dolce rallying against Elton John, calling him ignorant, fascist, and you've got Elton John clearly uh, very angry about this because he has two children um, who would fall under this category of what they're what they're decreeing, what they're going against, and so. It has become an international story. I'm pretty sure everybody is aware of that. But one of the more fascinating pieces of it is that 
Dolce, in particular, in an interview with CNN last Wednesday, he was not backing down. He was not backing away from his stance in support of traditional marriage, basically saying, look, I grew up in a traditional family. Oh, hold on. Chris Field is back. Okay, so traditional family. No, I went over to say, listen, I'm... You find very few people who are a bigger Elton John fan than I am. Okay, I'm outing myself as an Elton John fan, like a huge. I just, what do I have sitting on my record player? The, the latest record I was just playing. Oh, listen, and and Billy knows this about me. I'm an old soul. I'm not an old man, but I'm an old soul. I well, love old vinyl. I mean, I just absolutely love it. In fact, you and I were talking yesterday. I was outraged about something, and I said I can't be too outraged about it because I was listening to, I don't know, BB King and Billy uh, Bobby Bland or it was BB King well, at least. Anyway, and Bobby Bland. And, but this is the album that was sitting on my record player that I was just listening to, The Honky Chateau by Elton John. It's a fantastic, fantastic album. I'm a huge Elton John fan. Okay, I say all of that as a huge Elton John fan, but this slap fight is hilarious. And if you can't see the humor in it, you have no sense of humor. <laughs> well, I mean, I do think there's something to be said, right? You have, if these were just two fashion designers... Um, you know, yeah. two random fashion designers, it would be it would be no big deal. But these are two guys who everybody knows, A, yeah. and B, they happen to be gay. So when right. you have when you have one of them in particular saying really strongly that they support traditional marriage, I think it definitely is gonna capture attention. And it really I mean you have Elton John who obviously is married to his um husband as well, and then oh. you know, he's gay as well. So it is it's an interesting story. Well, it <laughs> makes my hair hurt. But so one of the things, okay, so the 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 line that I thought was the greatest line in the new the news story update that you did on Thursday uh, afternoon was you were listening to the the you and you had to transcribe uh, the CNN interview that Dolce Gabbana or Dolce did, right? Was it both Dolce yes. and Gabbana or just Dolce? It was both. It was both okay. of them. It was and, both of them. Dolce was a little this, more vocal. They have this huge, the, this heavy uh, Italian accent. <laughs> So so heavy, having... like a like a pound of so, pasta heavy. <laughs> <laughs> says the Italian in our midst. So he says, "This is my, this is my favorite line." It's the second paragraph of your story today. The the, the story is titled or headlined. Um, I believe in the traditional family. Gay fashion designers speak out amid ongoing protests against Dolce Gabbana. Okay, and he says, "It's my private vo- point of view." I'm Sicilian, says Dolce. <laughs> said, referencing. Referencing, referring to, you should have written there, referencing controversial comments he made in an interview with Panorama Magazine. I grew up, I grew up in the family. My company's <laughs> a family company. I believe in the traditional family. So he says, so here's the line that, and Billy knows this, that I got stuck on. I grew up in the family. So when he says that, is he talking about the family, like the traditional family, like, like the family? <laughs> Or the mob family. I right, think that's what I'm asking. I listened to it 14 times to try to understand what was being said. Um, and and it was more, I think, traditional family. I grew up in the traditional family, so I believe in the traditional family. Right. Like I said, it, it's a tough transcribed job. Let me tell you, when you're trying to transcribe uh, these two Italian guys, it was rough. And I'm Italian, and yeah. I just, I was lost. I, I feel but, for Elton John because Dolce may eventually go, I'm going to make, I'm going to make you an offer. I can't, re- you can't refuse. <laughs> <laughs> I have a. I don't know why I'm even trying to imitate the Godfather, but I don't either. It actually sounds like somebody suffering from emphysema. You know but I'm gonna I'm gonna reach through my Skype. It's, I'm sorry. Now what? <laughs> so, the other part of this interview that I thought was good was when uh, Dolce was asked flat out. First, she, the reporter asked Gabbana, "Do you?" 
Um, do you have a problem with IVF? He says he has no problem with IVF and that he shares different views from Dolce. And then she asked Dolce, and he he did try to avoid – he was very open about where he stood on traditional marriage. He tried to avoid the question on IVF. He said, I think today we don't need to support or don't support, he said. Right. You, you think what you think. So yeah. he wasn't trying to go back into that debate, but it seemed like he was much more willing to go into the traditional marriage debate. Well, and good for, good for him. Hey, listen, you take up stances that are controversial and – Sometimes it comes back to bite you and sometimes not. Billy, I want to get, uh, we're going to take a break real quick and I want to come right back and talk about that's uh, uh, very closely related to this story. And that's an open letter that was sent out um, that was very intriguing. I want you to uh, bring us back here in a minute and talk about that. All right. We will You're be so demanding. I am demanding. Get with it, son. Here we go. We will be right back. Back to the dark. Church boys. So we have a really good interview coming up that I think you guys are going to love, and it's with Brittany Ruiz. And this is the former porn star that we've been talking about for weeks. Mike tries to shame me. Uh, every, or, I'm sorry, Mike. Chris tries to shame me. Mike. I was thinking Michael Pelka. Yeah. I'm, uh, how dare, <laughs> no, how let me dare tell you? you. Why. I have my how dare you? And Michael Pelka. How dare you? Mike, this is why you don't multitask. Michael Pelka had sent me something and I'm reading it. And Mike is usually the one shaming me. And so I'm reading my I am into the show. Anyway, Mike and Chris shaming me all the time. And Chris tried. <laughs> <laughs> let's just redo this. No, let's go. Here we go. You want to keep Yeah, going? absolutely. Anyway, Chris Chris shames me as I'm reading it. I am from Mike. And um, you know, saying that I didn't get the interview, it wasn't working out. Well, we finally did get a chance to sit down with Brittany. Ruiz and really just talk with her about a little bit deeper than we went in the first interview, which was just sort of what her conversion was like and, and you know, how she sort of left that industry of porn and now is working in her church and um, has a normal job as a receptionist. And But we went and we really talked a little bit more about some of the challenges, some of the triumphs, where her relationships are with her family after leaving porn. And so I think I think it's a really great interview and I think you guys are going to love it. All right, so I, we we teased this just before we went to break. I want you to get. I want you to tell people about this this open letter that was sent, and and people may have heard of it heard of it last week or during, over the weekend. But I want people to. I want you to give your take on this. Tell tell what you found. Yeah. So this is this is a really interesting story. It sort of piggybacks well off of what we've been talking about with Dolce and Gabbana and Elton John. It's this woman, Heather Barwick, who lives down in South Carolina, and she she's a mother. She's married. She's got four kids, and she wrote this open letter to the gay community. And yeah, this her perspective is fascinating. She opposes gay marriage, but. Uh, she grew up in a home, you know, her mother and her father were married when she was two or three, they got divorced. Her mother moved in with a woman and she was raised in a lesbian household uh, with two mothers. And so she writes this letter to the gay community coming out against gay marriage, which, um, as I understand it, is a pretty big transition because Heather had supported gay marriage in her 20s. But now looking back and reflecting on it no longer does. That's that's pretty amazing. And because and not only was she an advocate, but like you said, she was raised by uh, a lesbian couple. It's an amazing story that that piggybacks on that on the Dolce Gabbana thing. Like maybe that's maybe this isn't a lost cause, this fight for the traditional family and traditional marriage. Maybe it's not a lost cause. Maybe there are people out there who are coming to their sense to say, you know what? There are good things and bad things in America and the world. And we would need to stand behind the good things and the positive things. 
and it's fun to see. It's it's nice to see. It's refreshing to see somebody who's willing to come out and take a stand. Something that was going to be at least and probably in her circles very unpopular. A very unpopular stance. Well, she's still very close with her mother, which I think is interesting. And if I get a chance to interview her, that's something I really want to ask about because I think you know that's got to be a tough balance to keep that relationship and be so open about how you felt that your mother's choice. Um, a partner was not one that was, you know, conducive to the best possible childhood you could have had. And I think, you know, when you when you read this letter, and I encourage everybody to do that over on the Blaze. We we covered the story and covered her letter and some of the things she told World Magazine as well. But when you read it, she is very favorable in many ways to the gay community. You know, she says, "You guys taught me how to stand up for myself. I learned right. so much from you. But now I want you to be open to what I'm saying." And really, her argument is that. When she looks at her own family, when she looks at her experience of not having a father who was around, she feels very much like the traditional family is the best possible scenario. Right. Not that gays can't be good parents, and she's very clear about that, right. um, but that she believes the best possible thing is for each kid to have a mother and a father. Right. So it's, listen, and, it's interesting. And her argument and her argument is is about how important it is to have a good mom and a good dad in the kid's life, a married couple, that that's you know, the best thing for kids. And it's not, and it's not just, I mean, she says to the, to, to gay parents, quit telling your kids that we don't need the other sex, whether it's, we don't need men or we don't need women, that that's not a healthy way to live. But she also, her argument would stand up amongst, you know, divorce couples, work it out, you know, save your marriage, be a good dad, be a good mom, be a good husband, be a good wife, be there for your kids. The condemnation for, you know, not providing a, a good, you know, two parent male, female, uh, home for your kids. Isn't just a lesson for the gay community. It would be a lesson for, for, for people to keep their marriages together. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, it's, it's sort of intriguing. I haven't seen a lot of open letters that are this, and I think it's because of her perspective, um, but are this sort of understanding and loving towards, I mean, she's not at all attacking gays and lesbians and she makes that very clear i think people are going to perceive it that way she's a, she's talking about structures and what she believes is best and, right. I, and it's rare to see people approach it in that way especially someone and listen to be honest yeah i mean you got to be honest here there there are probably more people who came from you know same gendered households that are supportive of gay marriage i think it's a minority probably of people who are not because that's what that's what their norm is that's what they grow up with uh, but when you hear people like her, I think it's important that she has a voice at the table. And that's what she's saying here, too, yeah. that, you know, just because most kids might support it, she doesn't. And she really and she really has some deep seated or she had some deep seated sort of issues that she had to work through in her view as a result of that upbringing. Good. All right. Well, um, we got to take a break and get right back and do the uh, do the interview with uh, Brittany Ruiz. And so uh, please stick with us. We will be right back. The Church Boys. Man, I hate these guys. So you're going to hear from Brittany Ruiz now, who I spoke with this week. She was one of the world's biggest porn stars, and I will stop talking now, and I'll let you hear Brittany and I talk through her life story. It's Billy Hollowell, and I'm here today with Brittany. How you doing, Brittany? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So you're out. I'm in New York. You're out in California. What time is it there right now? It is 8.40 in the morning. 8.40 in the morning. Well, I didn't wake you up too early. It's 11.30 here. I could have called you at like 7 my time, which would have been horrible. 
You, you oh, would've... that would have been terrible. No, thank you. I didn't even wake up until five twenty-five, so give me some break. Give you well, that's pretty. That's pretty early too. But well, listen, people loved. We we did a story on you on the Blaze, and people loved it. And in fact, we've done two stories on you and your and your past, and and really your testimony and sort of how you've come out of working in the porn industry. For, for quite a long time, um, you were in the industry and became a Christian and left it behind. And I think it's just a fascinating story. And we, we dove into a lot of that. And we're going to link back to it so people have a chance to to read all of your background. But I wanted to dig a little bit deeper on some of these issues. And, you know, I think one of the most fascinating pieces of anybody's story when they convert, when they become a Christian, to me, is sort of the challenge of changing you know, what people go through um, in that process. And, and I mean, going from working in porn to being a Christian heavily involved in her church, what were some of the challenges that you faced in that process? In the beginning of becoming a Christian, I definitely faced quite a few internal challenges. When I first stepped into the church and I encountered, you know, just the presence and God's love, I also saw that everybody seemed like they just carried such a light and they were joyful and happy. And I thought, oh my goodness, I can never tell anybody that I was a porn star. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to pretend like I'm just this receptionist, which I was at the time. And I'm just going to, you know, one day get married and have this white picket fence and nobody's ever going to know that I was a porn star. And I almost felt like people would look at me differently because when people saw me, they viewed me out of the eyes of God, and they saw me just as this innocent, bubbly, fun woman. And I thought, if they find out that I was a porn star, like, they're just, they're, they're not going to love me. They're probably going to judge me. You know, I didn't know. I didn't grow up with God. I didn't know that, you know, we as Christians are not supposed to judge and that we love everybody. And, and I had no idea. So... I remember uh, sitting down with uh, a good friend of mine, and she was just telling me, you know, don't, uh, she knew about my past, and she was saying, don't ever be embarrassed of what God delivered you from. You know, you should be open about it. And so when the Triple X Church gave me the opportunity to share my testimonies for their website, I just did it. And um, quickly, everybody soon found out that I was a former porn star, and everything that I thought was going to happen, that people weren't going to love me anymore, they were going to judge me, nobody was like that. Everybody really embraced me, and they just thought that what God had done in my life was the most amazing thing, and so, um, but that was the biggest battle, was that first step of, like, should I tell people or shouldn't I? I think I'm just going to hide. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I would imagine most people would feel that way, and then I think to have that positive experience must have been really encouraging for you to sort of come out of it and be like, you know what, everybody's here to support me. They're not they're not trying to tear me down. You know, they want to be here for me. That must have been pretty that must have felt pretty good. It was liberating because there's so much freedom in transparency. And the reality is is that Jesus Christ died for us sinners. He died so that we could be delivered from whatever it is that we were going through, whether, you know, we were in porn or gangbanging, like whatever it is that, that we've done, Jesus delivered you from that. So if he wasn't embarrassed to deliver you from that, then you shouldn't be embarrassed of what he delivered you from. 
No, and it's, I think we live in this world where people put levels on certain sins, right? And they assume, oh, well, you know, I might be lying every day, but that's nowhere near as bad as what Brittany was doing in porn, you know, which is not true. <laughs> you know, it's, I mean, it's no, but it's true. You know, we, we sort of think it of these different, in these different levels of, um, you know, of how, of how we're going to be assessed by God. And, you know, I think, well, let me ask you this. Have you experienced negative from people? I mean, you sort of hinted, um, before that, that maybe sometimes people have said, have said certain things to you that were negative, even after learning that you were a Christian, have you had that experience where other believers criticize you still, despite coming forward and talking about your transformation? No, I don't know if it's necessarily been believers because it's been like, you know, just comments after doing various interviews where people say stuff like, oh, you're still going to go to hell, you know, you're still this, and they want to label me as my past, I won't get into the names that they call me because they're vulgar, but you just have to learn to brush your shoulders off because as long as you know who you are in Christ, as long as you know that God loves you, then it doesn't matter what people say about you, you know, it was like... Jesus got called the Prince of Demons, you know, it's like, how funny is that? Actually, he's Lord and Savior of the world. So there's always going to be somebody that's going to say something negative about you, or they're going to want to throw your past in your face, or tell you what you are, who they think you are. But none of that matters when you know who you are in Christ. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, you know, I think one of the other elements, too, that, that, and I'm curious to know if it's difficult for you, or if you've sort of been able to also put it behind you is the notion that, you know, with porn, when you, when you record something, it sort of exists forever online. Is that, is that a challenge for you sort of knowing that these things are out there? Um, what, what is that like that part of the process like for you? Yeah, that one makes me, um, you know, that one makes me, uh, grin a little and not, not in a good way to know that my, everybody has a past. But to know that my past is out there for the world to see and that even being a Christian woman now who, you know, I have vowed to not have sex until marriage, like I want to do everything that God says that I should do, you know, I want to be obedient to his word um, because I love him. And so to know that people can still look up my past online, it's a little, um, I guess you could say discouraging, but those are the kinds of things that I don't want to focus on. So I don't want to focus on the negative in my life. I just want to focus on all of the positive. So that's a very distant thought in my mind. No, and that's and that's probably really healthy. I think that's you know that's what you sort of have to do, and it's the I think that's the good way to sort of approach it and deal with it. Um, and then you you know you, we talked in our last interview about how you are in a relationship and you're really happy and and you're looking forward to the future with with marriage and kids and. You know, is it challenging after coming out of porn to sort of, um, and I know you took about a, a year away where you just devoted yourself to God away from dating, I believe, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, I did. Was that, is that yeah. challenging? What's that process like of, of sort of entering into a relationship after everything? You know, I think the best thing that I decided to do was to stay single for, it was a little over a year, but I told myself, you know, God, I'm going to stay with you for a year. I'm not going to date anybody for this entire year. And for me, that was an amazing year of healing. You know, let's, let's replace your, your hurt with healing. You know, let's, let's get rid of those deep-rooted issues. Like, let's help you forgive everybody that's ever hurt you. And so in that year, I really went through this healing process. And the Bible says that God makes all things new. So it's, I just became this new creation in Christ. And 
so God, he transformed my way of thinking. He showed me his ways. And I began to, in that year, just, just live this life where I truly felt like every, all the sins I'd ever committed, everything I'd ever done in my past was no longer a part of me because I'd been completely healed by Jesus. And so now going into this new relationship, it almost felt like in the beginning, like I was this 14-year-old little girl again who'd never been in a relationship. You know, I was nervous. It was like I was holding hands for the first time. It was just all of this innocence was restored. And so it was uh, just exciting, you know, and it still is very exciting. But um, just to know that I, I just feel completely new. I feel like this is my first, the first relationship I've ever had, believe it or not. No, I think, you know, that anybody I've ever interviewed or, or spoken with about their faith and converting and sort of going through that whole experience, they really become a new person. Um, and I think that what you're speaking to is evidence of that. Mm-hmm. Let Thank me you. also ask you about your family members. I know you, you spoke about your grandmother, your grandfather in, in our last interview and how they were sort of um, pivotal. It was your grandfather who brought you to church. Um, mm-hmm. I believe when you when you actually first accepted Christ and sort of started in the journey, although you know that was in the midst of everything else that was going on in in your career um, at that time. But wh- where are your relationships like now with your family members? My relationship with my family members are actually really great. They they're better than they've ever been. So. My mom and I have really been working on building a really great relationship. My sister is just absolutely my best friend. I love her to pieces. Um, I, I really get along with all of my family members. You know, they join me for for church from time to time. They've all, the ones that were unsaved have all accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You know, I mean, God is just really good and he's really restored uh, the relationships in my family. And of course, there's some that are still work in progress, but I promise you they're better than they've ever been in my entire life. And were those family members who came to Christ, did that happen after your conversion and after what you went through? Yeah, it was really cool. They just started kind of falling like flies. So first, my my brother and I prayed the prayer of salvation over the phone and then he started coming to church. And then my sister prayed the prayer of salvation at our young adults ministry, the uprising at church. Uh, and then my mom prayed it at church. And then my dad and I prayed it on Christmas Day. I was like, that is the best gift ever. So, uh, yeah, I got to be a part of that. And then I've had cousins that I've got to pray that prayer with as well. So it's just God's goodness and his love is leading my family to repentance because they're realizing that, you know, we didn't know God growing up, so we thought maybe he was mad at us. He was, you know, just this angry God, but that's, it's the complete opposite of that. He really, truly loves us no matter what we've done, no matter what we're doing. He loves us regardless, and so, you know, people want to go where the love is, and my family feels the love of God, so they want to go towards him. It's really interesting to consider what um, and I know that even saying this is sort of controversial, but what would have happened had you not made the decisions you made, had you not gone into porn and worked in porn for, for seven years, had that not happened, um, you know, where where your life would have ended up in terms of faith, where their life would have ended up. It's I'm always amazed by how God sort of uses decisions and life circumstances sometimes to reach people. And it's just interesting to me to, to think through that all of these family members sort of found God after you did and that the experience you went through sort of shaped 
that process for you. Yeah, definitely. You know, I never thought I'd um, see the day where I would truly say that I am so grateful for everything that I've gone through. The drug addiction, the pornography, feeling depressed, suicidal. Like, I am thankful for every single horrendous experience that I went through because God makes all things work together for good. And he's really using me to bring people into his kingdom. And now I see that my life has a much greater purpose and I'm no longer living for myself, but I'm living for God. And it's just such a beautiful thing. And I'm, I'm truly grateful. Let me dig into another question that I think is sort of in line with what I was saying before that I think sometimes we, we put different sins in different places and, you know, try to put ourselves above others sometimes and how we assess what we're doing versus what they're doing. What do you think, as somebody who worked in, in porn, as somebody who's come out of porn, what do you think people get wrong when they talk about porn stars, let's say, and they, and they maybe dismiss them as individuals? Oh, that's a great question. I think that when people look at porn stars, they think, oh, that's the decision that they're choosing to make, you know. Oh, they're just maybe dirtier than most people because they could choose to have sex for money and, you know, it's uh, just a disgusting sin. But hello, where's the mercy? Where's the grace? It's like, did you forget to realize that hurting people hurt people? If they're having sex on camera for money, what do you think that they think about themselves? You know, when I was living as a porn star, I was depressed. I was suicidal. I hated myself. I wanted out so badly, but I didn't know a way out. I had no idea how I could get out of the misery that I was living in. And so when you look at somebody who's committing any kind of sin, um, public or not, or, you know, whatever it may be, maybe they have an addiction to sex or masturbation or drugs, have the same mercy that God had with you and try to seek understanding for why they're doing what they're doing. Because if they truly love themselves and if they truly, you know, knew and encountered the love of God, they wouldn't be where they were. So maybe instead of you judging them, you should show them the love of God, because it's the love of God that will lead them to repentance. And what about those, I would imagine, I know I asked you last time we talked about, um, you know, people that you may know who are still in the industry. Uh, what would your message be for women who are in the industry, as specifically those who are maybe second guessing it, starting to maybe think, you know, how do I find that way out? And you mentioned a lot of people don't know the way out. Um, and they're not sure how to get out, but they want to, what would your message be to them? It's so important to walk with the understanding of, I have not gone so far that I can't get out of this. Um, don't believe the lies that the enemy puts into your mind. Don't believe those negative thoughts of who's ever going to hire me. You know, I've been a porn star. I could never get a regular job because those are all lies. You can get a regular job. You can get out of it. You just have to have that willpower and that desire to get out of it. And as long as that desire is there, God will get you out of it. So I tried to leave the industry, and I tried to leave it without God. 
And that was the hardest thing for me because the temptation was still there and I didn't have God's strength. So I went back into the industry a second time. So if you really, truly want out of that industry, don't believe the negative lies and don't lean on your own strength. You have to lean on a strength that's much greater than yours. And that strength comes from God. So as you know, if you want out, I suggest go to church, get involved, you know, meet some people. Don't be embarrassed. Of, of your past. Don't be embarrassed of what you're going through. You know, people in the church really are there to help you and to, to love on you and to just help you get out of the mess that you feel like, you know, you're living in. And, um, you know, read the Bible every day. That was something that I started doing as well. I mean, when I first walked into the church, I was still on drugs. And it was through reading the Bible that I was able to find this new strength. And sometimes I think that these things don't necessarily make sense to people because I try to remember when I was still a porn star, still a drug addict, if somebody told me, you know, just read the Bible and you're going to be good because God's going to give you the strength, I wouldn't have been able to comprehend it. So that's where faith comes into play. You just have to believe these words that I'm saying and you have to try it for yourself. Because if you don't try it, you're not going to understand what I'm saying. So try reading the Bible, try going to church, and try praying, because I guarantee you God's a miraculous God, and He knows the desires of your heart. And if you rejoice in the Lord, He's going to fulfill those desires. So if you want out of the porn industry, God is going to get you out. If you want to get off of drugs, God is going to deliver you from your addiction. You know, So whatever it is that you're going through, you just have to rely on a greater strength. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and I think, you know, my my final question for you would be, you know, now that you've given that message to others, what what's next for you? And I, I think I asked you this, you know, last time we talked, but I just I love to hear sort of what the next uh, thing you have going on in your life is, whether it's whether it's professionally, whether it's personally, uh, fill us in a little bit. Next for what's next for me? Um, my boyfriend Richard and I we lead the, the young adult ministry at our church, um, the uprising at Cornerstone Church. So he and I are working on just growing the ministry, and um, I'm working on preaching and being able to share my testimony with wherever God allows me to do so. Uh, That's just really my passion. I'm really working towards just being able to do full-time ministry and really, truly getting to serve God 24 hours a day. Not that I don't, because even, you know, when I'm at work, I'm still serving the Lord, but really doing His work. And so that's what I'm working towards. Well, listen, thank you so much for taking the time. Is there anything that you'd want, um, any Twitter account, Facebook account, anywhere you'd want people to go to follow you? Um, Sure. I have Instagram, which is Brittany Ruiz. My Facebook is also facebook.com slash Brittany Ruiz. And then I have BrittanyRuiz.com. My name is spelled a little weird, so maybe I should spell it. It's B R I. T-T-N-I, and then last name is R-U-I-V. And we will link out to that, too, when we write the story uh, surrounding this. So, well, listen, thank you so much for taking the time again, and we're, we're going to definitely want to have you back. Oh, it's my pleasure. Anytime. I have so much fun with you guys. I love the place. Well, thanks. We You're really, awesome, really, really, really appreciate it, and uh, we'll talk soon. Awesome. Sounds good. Have a wonderful day. Attention And now, back to the church boys. They're a real pain in my ass.
All right. I hope you all inter- enjoyed that interview. Um, thank you, Billy, for doing that. It was pretty amazing to hear her story. What a what a cool thing to hear. Um, before we go, we only have a minute or two left here. Before we go, B- Billy, I wanted you to t- I wanted you to tell people about this amazing story. This this I shouldn't call it amazing. This despicable story about uh, this woman who is she's probably the brightest woman in America. Um, <laughs> uh, rapper Azalea Banks uh, and her, her her life of hate. Um, <clears throat> I can't even. <laughs> I have no words for this. This. Um, this. This person who's. You know what? I. I. I take that. I don't really think that she's going to be taking. Uh, as Don Imus would say, she's not going to be taking potato salad to the Mensa picnic anytime soon. Tell you people. Tell people about Miss. Miss Banks, the dope. So Miss Banks, who was brought up in New York, might I add, uh, did an interview with Playboy and also Is this, a photo. Are you, she brought was brought up in. Um, in New York, Swaziland. <laughs> or New yeah, York. Well, I mean, or was this listen, New York, or is this New York, Venezuela? Crazy comments come out of New York. New York, so. New York, Venezuela. Is that where, or was it New York, America? <laughs> she was born and raised. It was New York, America, okay. but you know, New York's a wacky place. Uh, Here's dis- what she said. She's right? despicable. She's despicable. She interview. <laughs> you can't even. You are so outraged today. You are so outraged that you can't even handle it. But, but. I mean, when you look at what she said in Playboy, it's sort of so bizarre that you have to keep reading it. When I was writing the story, I kept reading it over and over again because I'm like, well, am I missing something? Is there a punchline? She said she hates everything about America. The exact quote is, I hate everything about this country. But what's more offensive is that she actually hates me uh, specifically because she said, I hate fat white Americans. Um, well, and that really something bothered that me. She, something that, Mrs., that Azalea and I have in common is our hatred for Billy, apparently. <laughs> So she said, and this is, I'm going to read the quote. Like, I hate fat white Americans. All the people who are crunched into the middle of America, the real fat and meat of America, are these racist conservative white people who live on their farms. (laughs) I cannot stand this person. And I she have, also said, uh, now listen, she's 23, so this is not like... So, mean, that so means that her stupid, stupidity is only going to increase. Right. I mean, she's... Listen, when I read it, like I said, I was so taken aback. But then she went into reparations and how reparations should be paid. Oh, shoot me and she went, she went into how... Oh, I forgot the other part of this quote. Those little teenage girls who work at Kmart and have a racist grandma, that's really America. Right. The idiots who buy your music, essentially. Well, that's the fascinating which, part. Which, she would be nobody if it were not for America, right? And and which, and it's an interview that comes, um, um uh, apparently. I, and I know that you subscribe to Playboy for the articles. Apparently, the interview comes. It comes uh, 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 amidst the the many pictures of her posing naked for an old white American man. Yeah, it, the, the whole thing is very weird. And then part of me thinks, is she just saying these crazy things because she wants to get attention? And, you know, that that could be. It, it could be that this is plotted. It's either completely absurd and she believes it, or it's a very plotted media strategy that is still abysmal, uh, but one that they assume will get her attention, which, I mean, it has. And I just, I think when you hear people say this sort of stuff, you really worry about the state of education in our country. Oh, and the music industry, by the way. Have you read her? Uh, Matt Walsh did an article on her, and it was a letter to her, and he he quoted some of her lyrics, and he says, "This is this is barely even language. The things that are in your music, so it's not you know her music is stupid. It doesn't imagine, it doesn't surprise me that she comes out and says stupid things like this. But you know whatever. 
I mean, you say stupid things. Well, that's too. well, that's true. I do all the time. I'd love that's to hear you. One rap. of my few. Oh. <laughs> maybe, maybe on another episode we'll have a, a music show, and you and I can bring out our instruments. And you were talking about the recorder the other day. I remember. So you could bring out your recorder, and I'll bring out my um, my uh, sound machine, and we'll we'll see. No, we no, no. You have a ukulele. Let's be honest. My parents do. I used to play on it all the time. All right. I got to go. Okay. <laughs> Billy has to go, so we're going to go ahead and uh, say goodbye. Billy, any words of wisdom for our people? Read your Bibles. And the blaze. We'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Church Bowl.